Hey, everybody. It's Michelle, and I am completely cup runneth over with joy because today I get to announce that Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders is 100% done and in publication, and you can check out your copy on Amazon. And the best part, if that book moves you, if it grows your evidence-based triangle to to engage in interprofessional practice, to do the root cause analysis to why the child is presenting with the PFD, to then engage with the team to get that child to a point of healing so that the real growth can begin, then y'all check out speechtherapypd.com because they are gracious enough to entertain all of these amazing, joyful ideas. And they're currently carrying the book for 13.5 ASHA CEUs. So (sighs) thank you for being a part of the first bite journey that led to Chasing the Swallow. And be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com for the 13.5 ASHA CEUs that accompany it. Happy learning. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant, who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hello, y'all, and officially welcome back to school season from all of us here at First Bite. So today's guest, Kimberly DeLude, M-A-C-C-C S-L-P is the brilliant award-winning author of Freddy the Fly and Fairy Tales 2.0. And y'all, I mean award-winning. Did you know that Freddy the Fly, which is published by Boys Town Press, was a recipient of the Counselor's Choice Award? The stories help teach a variety of social skills in fun and interactive ways that don't feel like learning. And did you know that Fairy Tales 2.0 is a series created for caregivers for at-home practice? And it was a Massachusetts State Clinical Achievement Award recipient. And because today's the day of and, I got to be honest, I actually used Freddy the Fly with my own gooser when he was a little bit littler because it's not okay to growl like a bear and beep like a robot at your friends. So I saw our social stories. Anywho, I had no idea that these books were authored by an SLP. But then a couple of weeks ago, I saw a post 
from the one and only Sarah Brashears, SLP woman of muchness behind at short and sweet speech and at social moguls on Instagram land. And she was highlighting SLP authors. And ta-da, that's when I found out Freddie the Fly was written by Kim DeLude and SLP. So a few messages and emails later, here we are today covering all things caregiver coaching engagement and the intersection with speech therapy. So Kim, thank you for writing the books. Thank you for helping Goose no longer growl at people. And thank you for coming on today. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited to hear that you guys enjoyed the book so much. Yeah, Goose went through this weird phase. I mean, Daddy's an engineer, so we've got some quirks. But like when it came to being around other children, he would just start growling and beeping. And I was like, well, we cannot have this because I need grandchildren one day. <laughs> so I was, you know, mom, wing chick of and Freddie the Fly helped. So I don't know how I didn't realize that it was written by an SLP. But yes, Squirrel, I have so many questions for you, but let's start from the top. What made you want to be a speech pathologist? Um, so I actually shied away from the career at first, which is funny. My mom was a speech therapist and both my parents worked in education. So like a normal child, I was like, no way, I'm not going anywhere near that because my parents are in it. So I actually went off and worked in events and marketing for a little bit. But as I was doing it, it kept calling me back because I love working with children and I just didn't feel like I was helping anyone in what I was doing. So I went back and did a post-bac program and then did grad school and been working in the public schools ever since. And I love it. So it was definitely the right choice to switch fields. It was your calling. Definitely. I tried to push it away, but it, it pulled me back. Isn't it funny how when you know you're supposed to be somewhere, that no matter how hard you run from it, it's like this circle all the way back around. That's how I felt about early intervention. I didn't want to work with kids. It finds you. Yes. Yes, it does. It finds you. And then you're there. Yes. Okay. Now, wait. No, no, I was just going to say, and then it feels right once it does find you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. But how did all of this come to your book series? Okay. So Freddie actually was born in like a mind sleep induced haze during graduate school. I had just started my on campus, you know, placements of seeing students. And I was working with one and I couldn't find any kid friendly materials. Everything was really geared towards the parents. So, you know, one night after doing all the other work I had to do, I sat down and I wrote a story. And then the next day I used it with them and they loved it. So I just kept writing stories and eventually I shared them with Boys Town and they really liked them. And luckily, a very nice relationship was born and they made Freddie happen in real life. And then Fairy Tales 2.0 was actually once I was working in the field. Uh, I had a lot of parents, you know, asking for speech homework and different things. And I was finding that a lot of them, you know, weren't doing it, not because they didn't want to, but a lot of the times because of time or they weren't sure they were going to do it right. So I wanted to make something I could send home that they could easily do that felt like just reading a story, but also still targeted kind of what we would be doing in our speech sessions and they could do it at home with their kids. Nancy Kaufman with Kaufman Apraxia Cues and that whole approach, that's how she created her entire product line. She was like, I needed something to help my patients. And it was her products were born from that labor of love. And I, I love how it's very clear, ma'am, that you poured your heart and soul into both of these endeavors. And I, it's beautiful. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I love doing it. So it makes it easy. Okay. So we're going to cover all things caregiver engagement and coaching. And I full disclosure, have been the mom of a child in, with speech therapy because Bear needed speech therapy for Arctic phonology and expressive language because he was, didn't pass a hearing test until he was two and change. And so, oh geez. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of surgeries, but his ears work well now, <laughs> sometimes too well, <laughs> but que sera. <laughs> he picked up some colorful adjectives. Oh my. Daddy was army. Mommy's family was Navy. Go team. Anywho. <laughs> But I say that because I got to tell you, it's hard to be a parent and even with the skills and doing what, I mean, I'm a speech pathologist. You would think I would know how to do the carryover for some of these activities, but that's hard. And there were times when Bear would say, no, mama, 
you're not Dr. Angela. <laughs> and I was like, I know I'm not Dr. Angela, but I'm still trying to help here, man. So, but that's hard, but it's a critical piece of what we do. So can you talk to us about why caregiver engagement is so important? Sure. I mean, I think it's one of the most important aspects, but as you mentioned, you know, it can be one of the hardest too, because you know, everyone is very busy or a lot of the times, you know, kids are tired when they get home and, you know, they look at you a little differently than they look at, you know, their therapist or whoever else they're working with. But at school or in any setting, you're really only seeing them maybe, you know, twice a week for 30 minutes. Whereas if you can get caregivers involved, even for, you know, 10 minutes a day, that's 70 extra minutes a week of practice and carryover. Additionally, I mean, I know most people have heard of the 95 study by Hart and Riley about the 30 million word gap. And I know they've redone it and it's kind of been controversial. And sometimes it you know, showed that gap and other times it didn't. But in more recent research, if you looked at things from like MIT researcher Deb Roy, he looked at how words are born. And what they've been finding now is that interaction in a more authentic setting is what is helping language. That, you know, when you use bye-bye at the door, it's building those neurons and synapses because it's in the actual setting it can be. So being able to do that carryover in a more natural, authentic setting makes a lot more growth in language than just, you know, in our little rooms where we're doing drills with them. So that's why I always try to involve parents in any way I can find. So within the world of early intervention, there's a huge push for routines-based intervention and embedding language acquisition within the natural comings and goings of the day. And I don't know, there's moments when you're like, it's easier to do. It is once you become comfortable with it. But our profession is having to make this huge shift from direct service delivery to the parent coaching and engagement piece. And the research has been there. The research has been there showing that this is the evidence-based approach that works. But what is it, like a 20-year gap from research to practice? At least. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) at least. (laughs) Oh, honey, yes. Everybody, non-speech oral motor exercise, do not help with PO intake. Ta-da! But I say that because it's hard to embrace caregiver engagement and coaching when you're the only one in your building or the only one in your practice that's doing it and the rest of your colleagues are still picking up the patient at the door and then bringing them back to the child back to their parents as if, ta-da, my 30 minutes fixed the issue. Everything. Yes. (laughs) The magic wand therapy approach. No. Okay. No, I think that's definitely a hardship kind of in our field right now that, you know, having this research that says something, but also getting the buy-in. But I would say, you know, I'm kind of a proponent of a combination of the two. I think, you know, it's still very helpful to have some kind of session. It doesn't need to be, you know, a 30 minute drilling session, but you know, where you're, you're there doing the interaction, modeling it. And then also where you're, you know, sending it home for the parents to be working on in that natural setting. That's a beautiful summation. So what is your caseload? Like, what do you most often treat Monday through Friday? Is your caseload predominantly like social skills delays or a little bit of our tick? Where, what do you see? It shifts year to year, but lately it's been a good amount of Arctic as well as language. Ben, social skills are in there, but it's been a really all of a sudden group of kind of delayed talkers. And that could be for many reasons. Well, and then the pandemic didn't help because we didn't have access. I mean, kids were home for a year. Yeah. I'm just waiting to see when, if that hits immediately or if there will be a little trickle effect with that as well. For everybody out there that's engaging in child find this month and in the next couple of weeks, oh, all the coffee to you, friend. (laughs) All the coffee. (laughs) Because I'm just like, that's going to be a huge undertaking. Okay, so what strategies do you put in place in order to see caregiver engagement more successful when you're running a full caseload like you're running? Because I imagine you probably have, what, 60 plus kids on your caseload? Yeah, it can be really high up there, which is a challenge as well. And I'll admit, originally, I was, you know, one of those people, I made those packets, I just sent them home. And, you know, it wasn't satisfying for either of us, because they weren't getting done. And that was time and energy making those packets. And like I mentioned before, I really saw that, you know, the parents did want to help, you know, in any way they could. But again, time and knowing how to do it were those two big factors. So what I 
have tried to develop and it can be depending on timing I have or parent engagement, really elaborate, or it can be quite simple. And I call it functional carryover. And it looks different for each family. But basically, it's that idea kind of of what you mentioned in the EI of finding ways to incorporate into what families are already doing. I mean, we know most families are most likely going to the grocery store at, you know, at some time during the week and convincing them to include their kids in helping out in this in some way. It could be like, you know, they're going to be the list captain. They're in charge of, you know, naming and checking off all the things when you go to the store or when you get home. If they're younger, it could just be sorting. Say they have to put all the frozen items on the counter and the ones that can go in the cupboard on the table and just helping out in areas like that or things you're already doing. And it is helping in your day-to-day routines. Another thing I love to do, I'm sure you can tell I'm obsessed with books. I think books can target just about everything you want to. And I'm hoping most people are, you know, especially in the younger ages are reading every night. So I either, you know, would send home a book that targets something they're working on and ask them, you know, to either read that with the story they're reading or reading that instead of it and use that for practice at home. I just like the list captain. I think that's the greatest job ever. And please know in my head, I'm imagining like one of my boys wearing like a little sash with a badge and being like, fish with this captain. <laughs> you can go all in. You can make a badge. Yeah, definitely. Make it as fun as you can. Get that buy-in. My husband was a safety patrol guy at elementary school and I was not. And definitely the kid that made fun of the kid that was the safety patrol guy. So like that's, uh, that's not nice to admit. But I mean. I was with you though. I would not have been doing it. But now I'm like, no, everybody buy in and please, you know, be the captain of things. <laughs> But that's a perfect way to carry over. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Okay, so what other strategies do you have for us that you use? Yeah, I find a lot of the times if I can, I try to, you know, we see in the schools, the kids year after year. So, you know, you get to know some of these families. So I try when we have the chances to have conversations with them, you know, to see what's working, what's not working to, again, find those little areas that we can push our activities into so it doesn't feel like more work for them. I mean, I would say another great carryover area is in the car. You're driving, you know, to and from school, to and from sports, here and there. You can do so much work within that time that you're in the car and you can make it fun. I mean, you can do an articulation I spy game, you know, I spy something that starts with the k sound and see if they can find the cat that's on the side of the road. Or you can do red light, name as many animals as you can think of before the light turns green. Just kind of doing activities that don't feel like they're specifically making the child work harder at home when it is more of their downtime and they see that as the relaxing time, but it's still something that will target the goals that they're working on. You hit the nail on the head because that's what it felt like on my side, on the parent side. How do I make it so that this isn't a chore? Yes. And I think that's the hardest thing because again, I mean, we're tired when we grow home. I know the kids are also tired and we really don't want to be you know, forced to do any more what they perceive of as work. Yeah. And for me personally, it was like a double-edged sword because the board sword, this is why this is why Bear needed Arctic therapy because mommy does not know how to use consonant combinations, guys. But for him, he knew mommy did speech therapy. I mean, a different type of speech therapy, but he was like, and when mommy talks about her job, I always describe the special babies that I work with because, you know, they're infants, toddlers, and normally have like severe and profound disabilities. And I didn't realize that he would carry that over. He was like, boo boo, not special baby mommy. And I'm like, no, but like your mommy special baby. And I didn't realize that by trying to describe my profession and what I did for my children, that they would internalize it because they were in therapy for it. And so for all the other speech therapy mommies out there, it's a season, you're going to rock it and carryover is key. But that we did not do articulation, I spy games, but we would go through, I wish we had, that was really cool. But I did have them help in the grocery store. And that was Dr. Angela did recommend that one as well. So that was a really good way of going through, but he wanted to read and, you know, he was a little guy, he couldn't read. So I made a grocery list with like pictures of the, you know, what we were shopping for and that helped, but I wouldn't have come to that idea on my own. I mean, that was because I can't be speech therapist and mom. I'm one or the other with my own child. And that was his therapist idea. And I thought that was wonderful. No, that definitely is. Yeah. Finding, you know, little ways to incorporate it in that also, you know, 
empower and make them feel helpful, you know, because if a lot of time they're feeling like they're being told, hey, this is something you need to work on, it can, you know, weigh on them. So finding like, hey, look at this, you're helping me out here. I'm not, you know, working on this with you, you're helping me. I think also that mindset is really good to develop at home with them. Words of affirmation, you're filling their cup that they're making a difference and an impact. Do you ever share data with them afterwards? Like, you know, last week we did so many percent correct. And then this week, do you find that that's helpful? So I have started doing not so much the data that I have. I have this big board that they can fill in each session. And I ask them to rate how they think the skill that they were working on that session went. You know, we use either a face system or I have a three-colored sticker system, just depending on you know what resources I have at the start of the year. And I do that because I feel a lot of times it's important for them to have ownership of it and to perceive it that they're doing well. Because I can tell them, hey, you're doing great. You're doing awesome with that sound. But if they don't hear it and feel it, it's not going to help and it's not going to help that carryover. So we do that almost at the end of every session as their exit ticket. You're like, how do you think, you know, your past tense verbs were for today? Were they, you know, like still working on, okay, or I'm the king of past tense and I have them rate it and we can look at it. And then if they're having an off day, we can even go back and look and be like, hey, look, you know, the last three times you did awesome. You know, we all have little blips. Let's, you know, move on and not let it shake us today. Oh, I love this. I love that visual feedback. They like it too to see like, hey, look, I had like a whole week here where I had all green stars. And again, it's coming from them. So it doesn't feel punitive me being like, oh, you know, your sounds were, you know, a little wonky today. It was it was their own self rating. I love doing that with food logs. Actually, one of my students this semester gave a strategy for her patient and she came to it of her own accord. And I'm like, that's freaking brilliant. Like, I don't... It, she had them get a little calendar, like, you know, the chore chart calendar. And she was like, whenever you eat a new food and you have the new food, put a sticker on that day for your calendar. And then you can look back at the end of the month and see how brave you were all month long. And I was like, oh my God, brilliant. I've done feeding therapy for how long and never? I mean, like, ta-da! <laughs> so give credit where it's due, but also FERPA. So well done, my graduate student. <laughs> <laughs> You have to, they don't, can't use their names or initials. They come up with a fun little name for themselves or we use numbers. Yes. But like that, I just, I love that. That builds self-confidence. Yes. Okay. So can we dive into how you embed literacy and books in? If there was other things you wanted to cover with caregiver encouragement, I don't want to jump to the end, but I really want to hear how you add literacy. <laughs> Sure. No, happy to shift gears a little bit. I feel like literacy is kind of one of those hot topics in the speech world right now. You know, the idea somewhat of like, okay, are they trying to add a new thing onto our plate? And, you know, I kind of at first was, you know, on board with that. I'm like, oh no, there's just too much we already do. We can't, you know, add one more thing in. But when you stop and think about it, we're already doing so much literacy within our day. It's just kind of reshaping our mindset and becoming more of, you know, a team player on that team, because a lot of schools or there are literacy specialists, but we do do so much within that area already. I would say for me, you know, one of the big things is vocabulary. I mean, that's very often a goal, but it's not just working on the words in the books they might see, which is a great way to work on literacy, but it's also making sure they understand the vocabulary of the assignments and what's being asked of them when they read, you know, is it a sequencing story? You know, is it that, you know, they're being asked to write expository or different kinds of things after they read, making sure they understand that language that goes along with those literacy pieces. Again, back to books, because that's always what I go back to. <laughs> with that, because you mentioned with your, even your grocery store list that, you know, we added visuals, but on the reverse, when we're working on sounds and things, making sure we're adding the corresponding letter that goes with those sounds. So they're seeing it and being able to integrate that, okay, that d sound goes with the letter D and start making that identification between the two in the word recognition. And a lot of times I, in books that we're reading, whatever sound they're working on, I'll either with the picture, put that letter up with it, or I'll highlight in the actual book, every one 
of that sound that they're working on. So as we're going through it together, they not only know, okay, here's one where we're going to stop and, you know, say the word because our sound's in it, but here's the D sound. And I want you to start internalizing, you know, D in books when you see it. I worked with a, a killer kindergarten teacher, Chris Keene, a lifetime ago when I was in SLPA. And, you know, the SLP would come in and, you know, write the IEP, do the assessments, do all of the stuff. And technically, Virginia, it's not like a, when I was in SLPA, it was basically a speech teacher in the public schools. But she would go through, Chris would go through and she would find out what the target letter sound was for the child, like, you know, what phony, you know, we started working on. And then she would embed that highlighted and she had this clear, it was like colorful, but it was like a clear sticky tape. And she would go through and put that on like their big circle time books when they were doing circle time, but it was like the oversized books. So like all the kids in the class could see it. And instead of singling out just the one child that was working on that sound, she was an honorary SLP if I ever saw such a thing, but she would have the whole class go through and do the sounds with her. And she had this funny little pointer that had like a feather. It was like a feather boa meets a pointer. I don't know. And then she would like tickle each kid as like, and then go, all right, get them on their head and then go to the letter. And I thought that was absolutely inspirational to watch her carry over a speech therapy activity and get buy-in. I mean, it's stakeholder buy-in for five-year-olds, a feather boa and pretty tape. <laughs> so like, would probably be buy-in for me too, even now. Let's not lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is such a great idea. I know. I hadn't thought of that. Chris was awesome. She was such a good mentor to have at like a you know pivotal moment in my career. Uh, yeah, I definitely think any way you can bring you know the whole class in and not be spotlighting one is a great thing. Even like small group push in in the classrooms where you can do that, and you know you have all the kids working on you know, that sound or identifying that letter of the week is a great way that, you know, as speech therapists, we can help with that literacy aspect as well. What about narrative retelling? Do you engage with like narrative retelling? Yes. So one of my favorite ways to work on this is to find a favorite book of the kiddos. And usually what I will do is I will start reading it wrong. And then wait for them to start yelling at me that that is not how the book goes. And so then, I mean, this is someone I've been working with on retail, but I'll have them say, oh, okay, then you tell me how it goes. And they'll be very happy to point out all the things you've been telling wrong in the story. And you can make it more advanced or for younger kids as well. You know, with the younger students, you might just do a first, next, last and like throw in a wrong character and see if you know, even the thing is say, hey, you know, there was not a unicorn in the three little pigs. It was the wolf. And I'm like, oh, and then have those pictures there and help them restructure it for you. But they really like to point out if you're making a mistake or doing something wrong. So I find that is a great way to work on retelling with them. That's awesome. You just did sabotage on a children's book. I love that. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, anything to get them engaged in talking. <laughs> Oh my God, that's awesome. Uh, I'm just wondering which child is the one that was like, oh yeah, there was three little unicorns in the three little pigs. Forget the pigs, man. Yes, you will get that sometimes. They're the ones who just go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you're like, really? Um, that's, that's not the pictures I'm seeing here. So it won't work with everyone, especially I started working with preschoolers again this year for the first time in a long time. And I had one who anytime you would ask them anything, they would say, uh-huh. Until finally, I found something that she was really obsessed with. And then she did correct me when I tried to say the wrong things. But yeah, she just went along with me for a long time there. That's great. We Bear has painstakingly been transcribing the Bible. I kid you not, my children. He's taking all these... He's committing plagiarism is what he's doing. <laughs> it's adorable. Plagiarizing the Holy Word. He's taking all these little children's Bibles and then he's reading them. But he puts the title at the bottom of the page. So like I'm reading the little sentences and then I read the title and he's like, you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, the whole thing is wrong. Like none of this is okay. Adorable, lovely. But like he's picked out all of these giant words. And it's kind of neat to see. I don't mean to be sabotaging his literary endeavors, but like, it's neat to see him fixing how mommy is reading his plagiarized Bible. I'm going to have to send you a picture of it. It's really, really cute. I would love to see that. Well, if you, if you don't want to sabotage a book, 
per se. Another thing you can do is if you have papers or something from past students, or you can write your own, just, you know, little stories you can read, or if they are reading that do have, you know, incorrect grammar or errors in them, and I give them a red Sharpie, and they're also happy to go through, you know, you could give them a speech report, maybe and just say, hey, help me find where all the errors are in this and let's make it look better. And again, it's I think it's a little bit of that piece of control feeling like, hey, there's something I'm good at here and I get to help you that, you know, there's the buy-in piece for them. I often do a speech newsletter where the kids are in charge of it. So, you know, the, the youngest kids are probably drawing our pictures, but the older kids are our editors. And, you know, they might have, if, you know, writing is hard for them, they won't necessarily be writing out all the pieces, but we might verbally be retelling it. And then, you know, each analyzing the other to make corrections in a, in a friendly way. We're not attacking. And then we either do a video recording or we type up a whole one sheet of kind of like what's happening in speech this month. That's really cool. Also, I feel like you're giving birth to your book editors. <laughs> right? Getting them ready. They can read drafts for me and help me out. <laughs> yes, yes. And there is something incredibly powerful about holding a red pen or a red Sharpie. Probably one of the nerdiest things I've ever said, but give me a red Sharpie or a red dry erase marker and I feel like I can take on the world. <laughs> so I agree. It's very empowering. <laughs> yes, yes, and scary. Okay, so I... Where did I read this? I don't know. It might have been on Facebook News or something. Facebook News is not really good news, but my Facebook News feed is quite delightful because I've streamlined it. So basically, it's updates about fuzzy animals from across the world. But it's really cheerful. If it's not cheerful, I'm out of there. But I do follow like you can tailor it. So like I've got like school feed, like, you know, that comes through like positive stories. And there was a positive story about how a principal did away with public behavior charts. And on the grounds that instead of having it out for like everybody to see with the child's name, which I love that you talked about how you use like acronyms or a nickname or something like that on their charts for their own feedback. One of the teachers was like, well, I used the behavior chart in my classroom, like red, yellow, green cards to make sure everybody you know, knows how they're behaving and can control themselves. And the principal said, and I thought this was profound. They were like, fine then I'm going to give you a public behavior chart as well. And when you are late to work or when you're late for turning in an assignment or, you know, whatever the red would be, I'm going to put that sticky note outside of your classroom door for all of your colleagues to see. And I was like, oh my gosh. And you know what? The teachers quit doing it and they shifted to other ways to like monitor behavior and progress. And it like the whole school, the tempo of the school changed. And I feel like... There's power in holding those red markers, but you said, but we do it positively. Like we're not there like destroying another person's work. And you were talking about how like you build the other classmates up, the other, you know, speech kiddos up. And that's the key when we're giving this feedback and when we're allowing them to critique each other, critiquing gently. Yes. Learning through kindness. Definitely. I saw something similar to that and it was mind Flowing really because you're like, oh, okay, you know, I thought it was a way to keep everyone accountable, but really it's a negative when you look at it that way because there are some kids who, you know, it might be beyond their control, some of these things, and they're working on it. And if you have it publicly displayed like that, it's, it can be very, you know, shaming. And that wasn't the point of it all. I completely, you know, know the background and why, you know, those were encouraged for a long time, but it's nice to see that people are looking at them in a new way and finding different ways to try to motivate and encourage, you know, classroom spirit or behaviors and things. We do this thing at work where we have the students and I, I could see how this would be helpful for like an actual therapy session. So like the students, you know, all the signatures have been accepted. They use this program that our chair found called Torch the One Room Schoolhouse and they film the sessions, and then they go back according to a rubric that our chair and different um, uh, faculty members have created and grade how they did. And you can like live stamp it in the session, like afterwards, like when you're reviewing it. And it's been absolutely an invaluable tool for like conducting dynamic assessments because you have, you know, you get the audio feed right there. But when I'm reviewing the students and how they're charting their own progress, it's neat to see the patient's progress. And I kind of 
my next thought is how can we use that so that the patient can see their own progress over time? Because I mean, for some of our older kiddos, that's really affirming when they can visually see and hear and almost feel themselves making a better sentence, answering a question better, producing a more target sound for me, eating that new food. And instead of having like the fear reflex, their disgust reflex demonstrated in their facial features, actually seeing the joy on their face, that would be a neat tool to research and delve into, but just thinking aloud. Yeah. I would think one way you could, I mean, you'd have to look into a little more, but a lot of the times at the beginning of every year, I have them fill out, you know, a sheet of, you know, why do you think you're coming to see me? Because, you know, that's really fun answers you get sometimes. And usually it's to play games and nothing related to their actual speech goals. But then it leads into a conversation of, you know, this is what we're here working on. And again, I kind of have them at the beginning of each year rate, you know, where they think they are and what they need to still work on. But something I've more recently started doing, at least with the Arctic kiddos, is we record them a few times a year reading the same passage. And sometimes we'll go back and look at it. And that's a way for them to kind of see like, hey, look, you know, in September, when we were doing this, you know, we were saying T for K every time. And now it's January, and I'm hearing some of those correct K sounds slip in there. And it gives them kind of that visual piece, and they can see that progress that they are making. That's absolutely brilliant. Visual feedback, biovisual feedback. I can't remember where the word bio goes in that mix, but it's somewhere in there either. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's somebody somewhere is listening and they're like shouting the answer out. And I'm like, yeah, it's a thing. Okay, so what about do the parents? Do you ever encourage the parents to like record part of their sessions or like not their sessions, their like carryover activities, or do you do any of that? I do sometimes if they're comfortable with it, I'll say, hey, you know, why don't you record when you know you're reading that book at bedtime at night and we can see, you know, if there are any ways that we can shape it a little more, you know, to get a more targeted lesson in when you're at home. I haven't done it too much. I will say most of the parents do not like the idea of recording themselves. They don't mind recording the kids and sending that to me, but they don't usually want to be the ones on the camera. What I do have them do, and we'll both do this, I'll do it at school and they'll do it from home, is maybe an activity, they'll take a picture of it and we'll both send questions like, ask me about what I did. So then when the kids come to school, I'll say, hey, I see you know, you made this Lego project you know, with mom and dad at home, tell me about it. And that kind of gets the conversation going and I can get an idea about what they worked on while they were with their parents. I love that. I would just think, a little kid, when another adult, a teacher asked me about time with my parents or with my grandparents, like that just brought joy to my heart because, you know, it's weird when your two worlds collide as a tiny child, because normally it's two separate worlds. Like you have your home life and then your school life, but when they marry together, it's very life affirming. Definitely. I had a friend who would always be like, how do you know my parents? I'm like, they were just here with you. I saw them. Remember, I know them. That's suspicious. I'm like, okay, well, I met them. I do know them. It's real. <laughs> oh my God, that's great. Why do I see this little girl with pigtails and freckles? I'm just saying. They're like, you're two separate worlds. You can't possibly know each other. <laughs> yes, but when you do, that's when you have the, you make the most amazing progress. Okay. All right. So I have to ask a tough question. Yeah. Uh, uh, she's like, uh, snap. This summer in the clinic class, we focused on trauma and how trauma for children and for our patients in general across the life continuum, but how that carried over and impacted our therapy sessions and how the kids participate in therapy and how they're at risk for like long-term learning disabilities if they've endured trauma and trauma can come in multiple forms, food insecurity. I'm tied in with um, my dear friend, Megan Branham, and she talks about ACE events, adverse childhood experiences. And do you have strategies that you put in play with like respect to team engagement and a professional practice when you have a child that you know the child is coming with trauma or you suspect trauma to help with language acquisition and literacy acquisition? 
Definitely. That's definitely a, you know, a tough area for the whole team. And it's, you know, making sure I think ahead of time that everyone's on the same page is very important. But more specifically with me, I think building that relationship and that rapport with the student is the number one first thing you have to do. I mean, I've had students like this, and sometimes you have to take a good chunk of the time building that relationship so they feel safe before you can even target you know, those language aspects. I mean, you're always indirectly working on them. So that is a plus. But if you don't have, you know, the child feeling safe and comfortable with you, you're not going to be able to work on those goals. So I think that's the number one thing I do. And then a lot of the times for working on it, I think a lot of child led therapy is really great in that I'll let them, you know, either be the teacher or the leader of that activity and let them kind of run with it because then they're feeling more comfortable. They're not being kind of forced to say or do anything. You know, it's still a safe environment. It's still working on your goals. But now they get to be in charge of asking you the questions after a story or they get to explain to you, you know, working on direction following or sequencing how to make the craft that you're doing that day. And that seems to be a really good strategy to build up that comfort, but also still be working on those language and speech aspects with them. We had the, the students were assigned to read The Body Keeps the Score. Have you ever heard of that book? I haven't. I'll have to check it out. Oh, God, it's a bloody heavy read. But we read The Body Keeps the Score and then had, oh my gosh, Dylan Hartley. He's an OTRL out of Greenville from South Africa. And he talked about, you know, healing from trauma and how you have to utilize your therapeutic presence to build and establish trust, to recognize where they are, and then start therapy from there, just like what you described. Absolutely spot on, but it was great. They also worked through the out of sync child. And it's amazing to see how when a child is dysregulated, that's typically a direct response from trauma and how when you work with, you know, whether it be a counselor, an occupational therapist, whomever to, you know, collaborate to get that child in a point of regulation then they're able to, in comfort, just like you said, when they get to that point of comfort, then they're ready to heal. Then they're ready to receive gentle critiques on like how to make a new sound or why we need to try a new food. And because they're at a point of trust. So folks, if you're listening and you got a kid that you're having a hard time connecting with, chase it, dig it if it doesn't feel right. Remember, we are mandatory reporters as well. I mean, a lot of our babies are coming back and they mean not have been in school or had somebody closely monitor them for, you know, the last year and a half. So that's overwhelming and scary, I believe, but we can do it. Exactly. We can all work together. Yes. Kumbaya. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds cheesy, but it's true. (laughs) So do you have the opportunity, and I don't really understand what this word is, Title One. I just remember we always talked about when I was in the public schools, there was a Title One teacher and a reading intervention specialist, and they worked in conjunction with like our lead SLP who like supervised me. Do you have the opportunity for that in your facility? We are structured a little differently. We have the reading specialist who kind of just joint kind of both of those roles. So I do work with her. And a lot of the times those kiddos are kind of put through the RTI process first, but I'm brought in kind of from the start to do like screenings and make sure that, you know, just classroom interventions are going to be enough or do we need to go in for a full evaluation to start looking at the language aspects? I distinctly remember that our Title I teacher that I worked with a lifetime ago, one of them had narcolepsy. And, oh, geez, so sometimes you the, the kids would just come down the hallway. Uh, and Miss Wood at the time, I was my maiden name. They're like, Miss Wood, so-and-so is asleep again. <laughs> We're like, cool. Well, at least they told you instead of just been like, oh, she's asleep. Let's play a game or, you know, go back to class. <laughs> yeah, and I don't mean to laugh. I mean, it was, it was a pretty serious condition. And I think she ended up going out on medical leave and retiring. But it was just... The school was also under construction at the same time. And less if it didn't have literally the HVAC unit one day I came into work and the HVAC unit had fallen from the ceiling and landed on my desk. 
and they and they came in in head to toe clean room outfits because there was asbestos in the walls and in the building and allowed us to continue to do therapy in the room and in the school. I cannot make this up. And it was like casual, everything's fine, but like you know asbestos, but like you're fine. And I'm always like, hmm. keep going, don't worry about it, just keep teaching. <laughs> Yeah, you're fine. That's <laughs> this insane. is all adorable. It was, it was a, you know, one of the reasons I am not a school-based clinician. Well, I feel like that's a pretty good push out the door. I mean, that's one of the most extremes I've ever heard. I mean, all those pieces, not just one of them. Oh, oh it got worse. But there was also the homeless man that lived under the trailer out back. But everybody knew him and like that was casual. So like... Yeah, small towns, baby, small towns and school like therapy dog they bring in. You just have a random person on property. It's fine. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I none of this would fly nowadays. I'm old. So can you give us maybe your like a couple of examples of carryover activities that you would work with the parents to target literacy? I mean, just like something like a, a specific activity. So we can kind of Imagine it. Yes. Yeah. I would say definitely one of the pieces I do with literacy for home carryover is if they're my older students, I tend to have them write, you know, they'd read a chapter and then usually work on writing up a little summary at home with their parents. I don't want them to do it on their own. And then that's something they would bring back to the speech room that we would look over together and kind of talk about and see, you know, what was hard, what wasn't hard. Uh, that's definitely for the older students, though, who, you know, have kind of been working on it upper elementary. For the younger kiddos who are doing it, I do send home just a lot of sounds books and do that. Like I said, that letter identification with them kind of being able to start. And I will send home picture books that I've made that have the word in the picture. And so it's a word that we've been targeting. It's one word. We're not trying to make it crazy. And as they're reading together, when they hit that one that has the picture, they know that's their target word and they'll read it together with their parents and work on just saying that word and kind of building up that identification between you know our speech sound letters and our words that we're working on at home. I also like to do just little projects at home with them. So I sometimes like to ask them to write their own little story. Uh, it can be in pictures. Sometimes we'll just do like a three, make four boxes on a page. And I say, okay, I want you to either illustrate for me something at home with their parents, you know, illustrate something that happened in the day and show it to the family. And I've already sent home kind of some things that have happened. So the parents will have an idea if they were that happened at school because you get some creative things otherwise and parents calling you up asking why X, Y, and Z happened that did not happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, that magical unicorn appeared. No, no, not today. <laughs> I did, right? I just keep it in the closet and we pull them out when we need them. But that's a usually a good something that they can work on, you know, like when dinner's being made and they usually love to draw and share. So I find that to be a really good activity to work on kind of both the sequencing that you have to learn on and, you know, the first next last that goes with reading, as well as trying to, you know, verbalize it into story form. On our end, we're already doing exactly when you talked about targeting the word and picking the word and putting the word and having them read that word aloud, that I'm already autopiloted to just for like kindergarten literacy. So that doesn't feel like a stretch carry that over for speech therapy. It doesn't feel like I'm doing rework because I'm already going to be doing that as part of like regular kindergarten homework. Which is awesome. Yes. I want it to feel like, okay, this is something I know how to do. I feel comfortable doing. It's already part of, you know, what the classrooms may be working on. So this is easy to, you know, also add this piece in, you know, for the speech part of it. Yes, exactly. Okay. So then... What happens? What do you do when you have a caregiver that is struggling with carryover? Definitely. I think that's a lot of us or a lot of us feel like we're struggling with it, but we're doing better with it than we realize. I think that's a lot of the times when you need to kind of ask them to either share a video or walk through with you what they're doing. Because I find a lot of the times they are doing it great and they personally feel like that they're not doing it. So there's that end of it, someone who maybe is 
you know, unsure if they're doing it right. So with then, you know, we'll have a phone conversation. I'll send videos home showing, you know, what I want done. Or in that case, it'll, you know, maybe go back to the books and be like, hey, you know, just start here until you feel comfortable, then we'll increase the level of difficulty. But on the other end is the ones who are struggling, you know, to just have the time or the ability to do it in some way. And if that's the case, I think the biggest thing to say to them is, you know, that's all right. You know, I understand you're busy. You know, you have a job and you also have, you know, the kids at home. So it's okay if you need to take a step back for a little bit and then, you know, hopefully can kind of slowly incorporate just that one thing, you know, do it once a week. Don't even try to do it every day. Pick one day, you know, we're for five minutes while they're brushing their teeth you can do X, Y, and Z, and that's enough. And don't worry about adding in any of these extra things right now. One thing a mom told me one time, and she technically was a grandparent of a kiddo that I was working with. And she goes, honey, you don't realize it now. She's like, because you're not a mom yet. And I wasn't a mom at the time. She was like, you come up with these great ideas. She was like, but I can only do one task. I can only add one. If you ask me to do two or three, I physically can't get it in my day. And when I became a mom, I was like, hey, my one thing I accomplished today was a load of laundry. The one thing I accomplished today was I got a shower. (laughs) And you feel like a million bucks because you did the one thing. So if you're newer to the profession... And you, you coming, especially when you're coming straight out of grad school and everybody's got your writing killer lesson plans and, and you know how to write all these carryover strategies, real world, one thing, just like Kim said. Yeah. I, know, I think that is the hardest thing. Like there are all these great things. There's these great carryovers that can be done, but it's remembering that, you know, it's not an ideal world where everyone has all this time and this energy to do it. So make it, you know, as simple and as into their routine as possible and being okay with if, you know, for a while they can't do it because that is okay. It's not, no one should feel bad if, you know, for right now, hey, you know, I did the laundry. That is an accomplishment. So don't feel bad in any way, shape or form. So this week, this mommy did the laundry, but they made it as far as like a now it's a pile of clean clothes in the middle of my bedroom floor that didn't get put away because life happened. (laughs) But, you know, it's the life. (laughs) So hooray. Partially clean dog hasn't curled on him yet. Where I'm going to claim this. <laughs> so one thing that I've just started doing, and it was pandemic induced, was engaging carryover for my own kids and with the grandparents via FaceTime. So if I'm trying to work from home and I've got all these other things and I can't give the topic the attention that it needs, well, then we can... FaceTime a grandparent and practice our reading with our grandparent, which it helps when said child is not spinning the phone around by the pop socket and making the grandparent nauseous on the other end because it's like, but that was a surprising, a really good strategy to help with making sure we hit our 30 minutes a day of reading, right? And eating a new food with, because I'm, you know, I'm PFD person. But eating a new food with a grandparent, like finding out what they're eating and being able to watch them do it via FaceTime. That can be... I love that idea. Yeah. And it takes the immediate caregiver when they're feeling overwhelmed, head above water kind of level. It takes some of the pressure off and it helps a family bond. Definitely. I would say another great kind of extension off of that is siblings. If you want to get it, it's an ideal one if they don't always love to do everything together. But, you know, if there's a time where they, you know, do enjoy an activity together, it's a great way to be like, hey, help read this story together. And, you know, you're the big brother. You can help him build that confidence. And they're right again. You can, you know, tackle two activities and one there. Goose was so excited because this year at school, they have the kindergarten, I guess the second graders, no, the third graders read to the kindergartners or something like that at their school. And so he gets to go in and, you know, read to him. But I mean, Bear's not in kindergarten. He'll be in first grade. So he's going to miss his reading buddy, like reading with his little brother. But I think that that's really exciting because some of your third graders might be a less confident reader, but to the kindergartner, oh man, they think it's amazing because this cool big kid is there to like 
you know, they get to hang out with the big kids and, you know, they may not know. I just, and I love watching that self-confidence bloom in the kids. Our school does that too. And yeah, it's great. Sometimes like we will encourage it even for the grades that aren't doing it right now, if it is somebody who's struggling to just set up a time where they can go to the classroom and do that because it does build that confidence. And like you said, the younger kids just look at them like in awe, like they can't tell that, oh, you know, something was read wrong. They don't know. They're just like, look at this awesome kid coming to read to us. I've seen it too with, I was just going to say with animals. Uh, We don't do this, but I've seen the things where, you know, you read the stories to the dogs. And I'm just like, now I need a dog to bring to school so that we can work on those activities with them. I really, really, really want to get two therapy dogs. And I mean, I just really want another baby, but we don't have the working equipment for this. So therapy dogs, I've been slowly trying to pitch getting a third dog to my husband. It's not going so well. <laughs> but like, I'm like, you know, then we can pay for the trainings and da, da, da. And he's like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. No. <laughs> but a girl can dream. I'm like, maybe if it's a tax write-off. I haven't tried the tax write-off route yet, maybe. then. <laughs> okay. So if there's someone listening and they're concerned about trying the carryover with a caregiver or they're worried about embedding literacy, what is your final thoughts, your final words of inspiration for them? I would say to just reach out to the families. I think you'd be very surprised how excited they are for any little bit that you're trying to incorporate with them. I find we're kind of isolated sometimes because our progress does tend to be slow. So we're not always, you know, sending home this great communication. So any little bit you can do, I think is a great step. Even if it is your first bit of carryover is sending home a book, just take that first step. And I think you'll be very surprised by how receptive people are to it. Absolutely. Okay. So if folks want to hear more from you, if they want to check out Freddie the Fly and Fairy Tales 2.0 for some functional strategies for parent carryover, how can they find those resources? They can, I guess, go to my website, which is www.socationbooks.com. It has all the information on there, or they can also go to Boys Town Press to look for the Freddie the Fly books. And what is your Instagram handle, man? Because you always post great stuff there. <laughs> it's at the speech find. Yes, I tagged you. I do enjoy the positiveness that you put into the universe and the social media world. Well, thank you. Someone gets my humor. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it nice when somebody does get our sense of humor? Yes, I do appreciate that. Yes, Everybody out there, as usual, thank you for listening. We do appreciate it when you check us out for at First Bite Podcast on Instagram and First Bite Facebook page. Love it when you hit us up on Apple Podcasts and leave us some five stars and positive words of affirmation. And please know that we are wishing you a beautiful 2021 to 2022 school year. And I appreciate all that you're doing for our little ones out there. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.
Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually is, well, here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures... Okay. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye.